Radio Mano Papachango. This is a special episode. This is a very special episode. This is Wim Hof and Stanley Krippner together in a room talking about really interesting shit. Holy fuck. Am I glad this happened? Here's the story. When I met Wim a few weeks ago in Holland and then hung out in the Pyrenees uh, and we got to talking, of course, I mentioned Stanley. How could I not mention Stanley? And Wim said, man, I'd love to meet that guy. And as it turned out, Wim and his son and daughter were going to be in Stanford in Silicon Valley um, doing some research with this uh, this guy at Stanford, who hopefully I'll have on the podcast as well. Um, a psychiatrist, psychologist there at Stanford who does a lot of psychophysiological research. Um, anyway, uh, they were going to be there for a few days. So I talked to Stanley and uh, found out where he was going to be and sort of got the things together so that Stanley and Wim could both be in San Francisco the same night, but I didn't know where to do it. So I was thinking like do a live podcast recording, sell tickets, get people in there, make some money for the Stanley Krippner retirement fund. And, but it, there just wasn't enough time. It was like three weeks and, you know, I'm shitty at that kind of thing at the best of times, but with three weeks, forget about it. Anyway, Sam Lawrence, uh, who had me on his podcast a while ago, which is called Grow Big Always, highly recommended. He's got a really nice house. He's got some really interesting friends. I figured Sam would love to meet Wim. Sam already had Stanley on his podcast, so he knew Stanley and knew how interesting he was. So I hit up Sam and said, hey, dude, here's my idea. I'd like to get these guys together and maybe have a party at your house. <laughs> and, he, and Sam, bless his heart, went for it and his lovely wife, April. They went for it. They made their house available. They threw a fantastic party, delicious food, big smoker. He got up at six in the morning to smoke ribs and brisket and everything else you smoke in a smoker. And uh, yeah, we had a great time. So we recorded the podcast, which you are about to hear, and then people started showing up and we had a party. So uh, this was great. If you follow me on Instagram, you will see a video I took during the party of, <laughs> of Wim chasing a little kid around, which he did for about, I don't know, two hours. I, I think the kid wore out before Wim did. He's the real deal. Wim, I don't know how he does it. I don't know where the energy comes from, but it's real. Um, he's he's unstoppable. He's a amazing person. So I hope you enjoy this episode. This is, they're all special. You know, you've heard me say it before, but this one is particularly special. Uh, not a lot to talk about this week. I wanted to revisit a little bit what I talked about last week. I think I was ranting about how some some atheists bum me out because they're so certain that there is no God and there is no nothing and they're very rational and it's just what you see and then you die and you disappear and that's it. And if you don't agree with me, you're a fucking lunatic idiot. 
And some people took that to mean that I, um, you know, disrespected science, which I certainly didn't intend to do. I think the scientific method is very important and very powerful. On the other hand, I don't think it's infallible. I think the history of science is full of errors. And uh, so I think the importance of uh, humility is every bit as important in is vital in science as it is in other parts of life. You know, medicine, for example, right? We all know about the famous case of uh, bleeding, right? Benjamin Franklin and those guys, you know, back in the what 1700s or early 1800s. Medicine believed that that's how you, you solve diseases. You got leeches and you bled people or you just, you know, cut their veins and let them bleed out for a while and that would solve the problem. Well, okay, now that looks ridiculous to us, but at the time that was the cutting edge, so to speak, of science, right? Now we can laugh at that and say, yeah, but things are so different now, crazy, blah, blah, blah. Oh, oh, really? Well, if you look at the data on oncological drugs, anti-cancer drugs, Pretty much without, with very few exceptions, I should say, with very few exceptions. What's happened in the last 30 years is that the price of the drugs has gone up precipitously, but the actual effect of those drugs, the, the, the added longevity, the added lifespan to people who take the drugs has not really changed. There's a book called Doctoring Data by Kendrick, which I recommend. I haven't read the whole thing. I've just looked at it, but a good friend of mine read it and recommended it to me. And uh, and he said that it's a devastating overview of um, modern science. And, you know, we all know that, for example, um, sugar manufacturers bought off scientists, including Harvard research, researchers who published data claiming that heart disease was caused by fat, by a high-fat diet. Now, in Sex at Dawn, I actually have a line in there about how our hunter-gatherer ancestors had low-fat diets, which were healthy, et cetera, et cetera. And people immediately wrote to me and said, oh, dude, you fell for the fucking anti-fat propaganda. Come on, that's so disappointing. And at the time, I was like, well, I don't really know. It's up in the air. I don't know what's going on. Well, since Sex at Dawn came out in 2010, I've learned a lot about, you know, paleo and, and so on and so forth. And I've learned that, in fact, that was bullshit. And it was bullshit that was propagated in the United States, mainly by the commercial interest behind the sugar industry. And so for 30, 40 years, the government has been pushing the idea that uh, you could have low-fat yogurt and don't worry about the sugar content, right? Everything's low fat in the U.S. and people keep getting fatter. Well, that's because it's the carbs and the sugar, not the fat. Now, I'm still not a, an expert on this, on diet and, and this, so, you know, all this kind of business. But my point is that there are commercial interests behind what is considered science. That science, as I argued at length in Sex at Dawn, is contaminated by political agendas. And so, yes, the scientific process is fantastic. Yes, science is one of the best ways, methods of inquiry that we have. But that doesn't mean that it leads us to the truth. It doesn't. It, it leads us to insights. But the process itself is full of all sorts of possibilities for corruption. 
anyway, uh, that was my point. My point was that in any endeavor, we need to have some humility. And anytime people come across with certainty, I recoil and I, you know, check my pocket from my wallet, including Richard Dawkins, which is sort of, you know, he's become the punching bag for that sort of arrogant, everybody's an idiot except me approach to um, dialogue. So maybe it's not fair to single him out. And as several people have said to me, Sam Harris is a much more subtle and nuanced approach to these issues. So as soon as I get a chance, I will um, try to hook up with Sam Harris to have a conversation. And before I do that, to, uh, to bone up on his work a little bit. Uh, okay. What else? Uh, Vancouver. I just got back from Vancouver. Since I spoke to you, I flew up to Vancouver, had a fantastic time up there, recorded three podcasts, one with Wade Davis, which was stellar. Wonderful to meet that guy. Such an interesting guy. Spent lots of his life in the Amazon. He's teaching now. He's right. He's written 15 books and he's young. He's, he can't be, I don't know if he's even 60. He's roughly my age and, you know, just incredibly productive. Um, very interesting cat. Uh, so we talked about ethnobotany. We talked about his years at Harvard, his, our common friend, Andy Weil, Richard Evan Schultes, several of his books, adventures, voodoo, hallucinogens, the whole thing. I also uh, had a chance to speak with, um, a guy who's an expert in ancient Chinese philosophy, which is fascinating. His name is uh, Edward Slingerland. Slingerland. And uh, he's got a book called Trying Not to Try, which is about uh, the Chinese concept of uh, Wu Wei, I think it's is how he pronounced it, which is sort of effortless action, which uh, underlies a lot of martial arts and, and basically Eastern thought. Uh, he's talking about... I think he said 2000 BC or something It's pretty, pretty like sort of the foundational um, thinking of Chinese philosophy. Anyway, so I had a chance to speak with him. Really cool conversation. And then I also met with a guy named uh, Peter Sudfeld, who is a psychologist, did his PhD at um, Princeton way back when, just after Einstein had died. And uh, he's done cutting edge research on isolation. He did some of the first research with um, isolation tanks, sensory deprivation. Uh, he's worked with astronauts. He's worked with people at the, at the North and South Pole and people you know, down in submarines and all this kind of stuff. Really interesting guy. So three fantastic podcasts in Vancouver. Thanks to you, the people who support this podcast, who, uh, you know, allow me to buy a ticket and fly off and do a couple interviews like this uh, when when the opportunity arises. So thank you to all of you who are, are supporting this podcast financially, because it really makes it possible for me to get more interesting guests and have more interesting conversations. And yeah, to have more interesting friends. So there's definitely a selfishness to this. I'm really happy to share it all with you. Um, but <laughs> I'd bring you along if I could, but <laughs> we need a lot more airplane tickets for that. Uh, all right. What else? All right. I try to say something every week that'll annoy some people. So, you know, here's, here's my annoying content for this week. It was Halloween. The other night I was watching John Oliver and he had a Halloween thing on and there was a, a segment about this kid, this little kid who wanted to dress up as Martin Luther King. 
um, because he had been studying the civil rights movement in school. I think the kid was like eight or something. And um, so he dressed up like Martin Luther King, the photos that he had seen, you know, white shirt, a black uh, bow tie, little mustache. And he uh, painted his skin, his face black. And he went to school. And it became a big problem. And so John Oliver was, he showed this interview with his kid. And then he was just like, John Oliver was like, where to begin? You know, wow. How can someone be this out of touch? And of course, he made a point to say it's not the kid's fault. The kid was just trying to be, you know, whatever. And but, you know, his parents should have known. Everyone should have known, et cetera, et cetera. Now, here's the thing. When I was a kid, long time ago, of course, but uh, I went to school at Halloween dressed up as one of the Harlem Globetrotters, Meadowlark Lemon. And I had the, I had an afro, so I don't know where my parents got an afro wig, but they did. And, uh, you know, I, I had the, the short shorts and I had the red, white and blue basketball and the whole thing. And I also, you know, did the blackface thing. Now, some of you are rolling your eyes and saying... Uh, you fucking idiot. You were a closet racist when you were in fourth grade in 1974 or whenever that was. But here's the thing. I still don't get it. I still don't understand why that's racist. I posted, if you follow me on Instagram, you saw a ridiculous photo of me wearing a buckskin shirt over like a blue button down and a big old headdress. I think I was probably 10 when I wore that. And, um, Again, it was not meant in any way to be disrespectful. Uh, Now, the headdress might be kind of silly. In fact, I don't think the Lakota really wore big feather headdresses like that. And if they did, they they wore one or two eagle feathers, and those had very specific um, significances in terms of who they were in the group and how many coups they had counted and so on and so forth. So I can see how... That could be seen as disrespectful from someone who comes from that tradition, although, you know, the intention certainly weren't. But looking at this situation with Martin Luther King, here's this kid who's reading about civil rights. He admires Martin Luther King. He he wants to celebrate him by dressing up as him, by by sort of, you know, revivifying him as a, uh, a character. And it's seen as disrespectful. I don't see why it's disrespectful. I don't. I, 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 just, don't, I just don't get it. Uh, Martin Luther King was wearing a white button-down shirt and a bow tie. Was he appropriating white culture because that's what white people had been wearing? Should all African Americans wear, what, dashikis or something? I mean, when is it fine to wear the clothing of another culture and when is it not? I came back from my first trip to Mexico with fucking serapes for all my friends, you know? I mean, was that disrespectful? It was it was cheesy, I'll admit that, but I don't know. Is that disrespect? I don't see where the disrespect is in wearing clothing or of another culture, for certainly. And I don't see how this kid was disrespecting Martin Luther King. He looked at Martin Luther King. He said, "Okay, what are his salient visual characteristics? He had a mustache. He wore this kind of shirt. He wore this kind of tie and he was black. So, okay." 
to say that someone's black is not insulting unless you think there's something inherently negative about being black, which I don't. And presumably that kid didn't and his parents didn't. So I don't get it. If I dress as a woman, am I insulting women? I don't think so. I don't think that's one of the complaints against transvestites, is it? Women saying you're insulting us by appropriating our clothing. Uh, I, I, I just don't understand how it's insulting to acknowledge that Martin Luther King was black or for a little white kid to want to dress up as Martin Luther King on the holidays. Now, if you're dressing up as, you know, a stereotypical, ridiculous black character from some uh, exploitative, uh, you know, white uh, blackface kind of, yeah, I forget what, you know, the, the, the Al Jolson kind of character. Okay, I can see that, right? If you dress up as a, as like a Nazi's um, image of a Jew, then yeah, I get it, right? That's, you're, you're playing into an exploitative or a very negative stereotype about that race. But if you dress up as Gandhi, isn't that, aren't you saying Gandhi was cool, so I want to look like Gandhi? If you, if a little kid goes to a Halloween party dressed up as, uh, you know, Desmond Tutu, it, like, is that insulting to black people or to South Africans? I, I, I just don't get it. So anyway, that's your five minutes of, of Chris being annoying this week. Um, Moving on, I had a great experience the other day. If Again, if, if you're not following me on Instagram, you're missing so much. There's a photo of me I took today wearing the t-shirt I have on right now, um, which, is, which, ha which shows a picture of a woman's breasts covered by two marijuana leaves. The shirt was given to me by a guy who lives right here in Topanga Canyon. I was with a friend. We were cruising around, checking out some of the sites, and uh, we're on this dirt road, and come around, and there's this guy sort of cleaning his van, and he's got a shirt, and on the back of the shirt, it says, I think it says, legalize orgasms. <clears throat> so I had my window down. I was like, what the hell does that mean, Le legalize orgasms? And he's like, oh, it's this stuff. You know, I, I work in this company. They've got this uh, marijuana-based, like, sex lube that helps women have orgasms and I was like really how's that work you know oh it's this thing they you know it's this solve that they they put on their vagina and it increases blood flow and it, it's absorbed through the mucosa of the vagina and I, and I said oh you mean like the witches medieval witches and he was like how do you know about that nobody knows about that and I was like yeah well I kind of do and so I stopped and got out and we started talking anyway new friend lives right around the corner here that's the kind of shit that happens in L.A. That's why I'm in L.A. Cool people. Anyway, so hopefully I'll have that guy on the podcast. His name is Matthew. Matthew, if you're listening, thanks for the shirt. All right, that's enough of me talking. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful that I get to do this sort of for a living. And that's only because of you. Those of you who listen, those of you who buy shit through my portal on uh, my website, Chris Ryan PhD, through Amazon, those of you who send me money through Patreon, send me money through, uh, oh, somebody just sent me a uh, hundred bucks through, uh, through PayPal. I've got a little PayPal button on my site. Joseph, San Diego. Thank you, brother. Very nice of you. Anyway, 
Everybody who supports this podcast in whatever way you do, thank you so much for that. I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to meet these people and to put together conversations like the one you're about to hear between Wim Hof, the Iceman, Stanley Krippner, the wisest cat I know, uh, Sam Lawrence, great podcast, uh, Grow Big Always, check it out. He's, by the way, we're co-releasing this uh, conversation together, so hope you'll check out his podcast and uh, and you on the other end of it. So thanks for being together. Thanks for uh, for listening. And the last thing I want to say is a shout out to Carrie, who's about to have a baby. Hope it goes well, and we'll see you on the other side, Carrie. All right, I'm going to play a little tune called Explosion. Uh, this is by a podcast listener. I've played some more of his music uh, in the past. His name's David Beckingham, and you can check him out at davidbeckingham.com. The album is Just When the Light, and the song is called Explosion. Hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you next time. We are part of an explosion that happened to create the ocean, but it is just an odd illusion, beautiful and quickly moving, yeah. Before the room in outer space, I landed here beside your freckled face, so we could dream about the things we'll do as all the sparks fall down. In the embers they burn out, we spin around and around. Is there ever any? We are part of an explosion We're too small to see the motion Perfect size to feel the motion Cause our own unique commotion Yeah But it's so easy to get caught in What we have, what we have not in. It's so hard to just believe we live too fast to watch it all go down In the embers they burn out We spin round and round Is there ever any doubt? We are part of an explosion Boiling hot, completely Perfect chaos neatly woven Are we lucky we were chosen? Yeah Are we lucky we were chosen? Yeah Are we lucky we were chosen? All right, let's get started now. Is it too cold in here for you, Wim? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm cheating right now. Stanley's got a sweater and a jacket. I know. He's Wim's got a t-shirt and he's sweating. Yeah. So there you go. We're ready to go then, right? Yeah. yeah we should just get kick it off, should kick we? It off? Sure. I thought you already did. <clears throat> I did. Oh, well, we're off. Uh, actually, we should we should say earlier today, we were having kind of an interesting conversation that might be an interesting way to start this, which is that... We were talking about how much in our culture people really live in 
pretty comfortable realities, really like cocoons almost of comfort. Hmm. And these fixed states that we live in really keep us from, uh, from growth and from being challenged. And both of you guys, Wim, Stanley, really do focus on altering the mind. So it's amazing to have you both in the room because you guys come at it from such different perspectives. Maybe we could start there. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? I agree. I, I just hope that truck outside stops backing up. I'm not wearing headphones, but I imagine it's pretty loud. We're going to pick up all kinds of stuff. It's yeah. a full house. That's, uh, that's true. It's a party. Yeah, yeah it's a party. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I was saying to Stanley on the drive over, it, like I think there's a very interesting overlap where Stanley's been studying psychophysiology for years, altered states of consciousness, the, the effects of consciousness on the body. And Wim has been experiencing these things for years. And mm -hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, you know, we, I was said on the way on the drive over that I sort of think of whim as a, a shaman of a sort. Do you see whims, whims experience as fitting into a shamanic tradition? I think that the parallel is that whim suffered a tremendous loss in his life. And instead of resorting to isolation, withdrawal, drugs, alcohol, whatever, he distracted himself by extreme sports, extreme exposure, which was a very healthy thing for him to do, by the way. And this is similar to the shamanic call. The shaman will experience a personal illness or a personal loss, and in many cases that is his or her call to shamanize. And the Shamans don't always go that route, but very often they do a type of self-healing, and the self-healing then makes them able to heal others. So I think that Wim's entry into the extreme exposure that he's so well known for is the parallel with the shamanic call. Hmm. However, instead of going the path of the shaman, and using that knowledge to help and heal other people, he has gone the route of using these exposures that I hope your audience knows about, climbing Mount Everest in his shorts, swimming two miles underwater in the frigid cold. He has used this to establish world records and to cooperate with science in terms of discovering new capacities of the human body. So it's sort of a... a sh it is helping other people because it's demonstrating that these things are possible and yeah. demonstrating it in a modern world that demands scientific validation of, of that sort of thing. Yes, that will certainly be helpful to other people. However, the shaman has one thing that's essential, and that's a community. Without a community, you can't call yourself a shaman. Mm. And the community can be a virtual community or in tribal societies, a physical community of... Uh, people in the village or in, in the town or whatever. There are urban shamans who have a community in the city in which they live. And so, again, I don't like to put people in categories or to pin labels upon people because women are certainly extraordinary and has his own individual path. But that's the parallel as I see. Right. right. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, very nice to meet you, Stanley. Yeah. Very and yeah, your wisdom must be very, very profound. I'm uh, I'm always eager to learn more. 
I uh, uh, yes came from say uh, grief. That's an angle uh, deep, uh, deeply been moved and uh, a broken heart. And how to heal that in a society which is not dealing with emotions? Uh, every day it goes fast as a train, and I, I just stayed behind with four kids. What do you, what do you got to do? You, you got to keep on, and nobody is is uh, 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 you know uh, giving that power that energy to you which is really helpful to heal this uh, emotional heartbreak uh, 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 psychically within so uh, I resorted to nature and nature knows the answers yet you have to open up toward it and uh, and uh, and there I found out not only that I was able to silence my emotional uh, confusion caused by this broken heart and uh, had to keep on and keep track with the daily life and being alone, having no money and having four kids and going on. Uh, is, yes, uh, there I was. Uh, and then uh, not only that I silenced my broken heart and healed myself, you literally have to heal therefrom. It's psychically getting in and, and taking over and getting your uh, 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 mind really every day in a, in a drain and strain. And uh, you have to disent uh, learn to disentangle uh, 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 therefrom. And for that, you need to go into the depth. So I not only healed that part, but I learned that we are able as a human to solve this matter of emotion and grief, anxiety, fear, things which normally within our perception, consciousness, are not able to be tackled uh, uh, like uh, uh, nobody knows the way to tackle that anymore. And as you said, Stanley, very nice, uh, uh, a shaman uh, needs a community. Now, to me, that community, the tribe feeling, the healer therein, the shaman, is the one who brings people who are shattered psychically or physically or mentally back together. In, uh, uh, and therefore, the function of that, uh, that, that's the function of the shaman. The shaman, say, in the prehistoric uh, traditions, uh, was the one who was healing, who had time to heal the people and to have his focus and mind around that aspect. He had a talent for it. He was like empathy and uh, 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 he uh, took his time. He was more tranquil. He uh, going into uh, uh, with his interest in, in into people and the rest was uh, going uh, 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 having food and uh, uh, gathering and hunting and this and uh, uh, so that that makes a tribe care and sharing and uh, and the shaman is uh, everybody has got his talent is and uh, it all functions as one and we lost this and now we it's a big industry with doctors and pharmacies and it's all very impersonal you get pills and nobody knows about the inner power no more so uh, the inner power and the inner faculties we have shown up till now scientifically and it needs to be scientifically, otherwise the people are not going to be convinced uh, that, we are, that we are able to tap into the autonomic nervous system, 
that related to the immune system and endocrine system makes a total different scope and dimension into uh, uh, what is our control over our physiology in the depth. I mean, the hormonal system is about uh, the endocrine system, the, the, the hormones, the good feelings, or hormones, the mood. We don't know how to, to deal with depression and when we feel bad, we feel bad, we cannot control this. No, we are able to tap into this endocrine system a lot better now. That's one. Then the immune system, uh, which is uh, uh, three layers up till the specific immune system, which is uh, T cells and B cells, we could not uh, tap into that. It takes about five to seven days to heal from a, a, a strong flu, heavy flu, and uh, to get the specific hormones released by, uh, you know, the T cells, B cells getting on the intruder, the, on the cell membrane and um, makes apoptosis. And uh, it takes about five, seven days. No, we did it in a quarter of an hour. And not only one person, a whole group of persons, 100% score. It's a natural ability of ours, which we lost. And uh, you're saying and mentally, mentally it's happened. You can, you can actually physically using your brain tap into those systems. The, the placebo. What's the placebo? It's real. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and with that part of the mind of ours, I showed in front of a box of eyes to, uh, before going in. Uh, 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 taking blood of me to sh uh, being motionless just by thought I need to go into the icebox for 80 minutes so I program myself being motionless 300% more cell activity at that moment in the blood and I, I mean that's the placebo no that's the power of our mind we lost the belief to go within we go and resort to doctors and dependency and and all no we got a, a huge power within our brain and breathing mm. so i call it breathing and believing mm. and that brings us to around to sam's initial point yeah which is that comfort in a way, like we build all these structures to protect us from the sorts of experiences, whether it's pathogens with the hygiene hypothesis, everything has to be sterile. And then we end up sick because our immune system doesn't get trained to deal with the outer world or we protect ourselves from mortality. We think we're protecting ourselves by pretending no one ever dies. Nothing bad ever happens. We build, you know, sick people, dead people are all isolated and away from the rest of us. Uh, you know, and that robs us of the ability to develop these these capacities that you're talking about. I mean, if if this hadn't happened to you, where would you be now? Who would you be? I would be a person incognito like uh, everybody else in yeah. daily life, uh, swallowed to like numbers so and so yeah. much yeah. with a name and not. Uh, but uh, we got to wake not up. Not that you would ever wish for this, of no, course. No, but, no. But it's the tragedy that launched you to another level of your life. Hey, man, that's the spirit. That's the principle of the Buddha. Yeah. The Buddha is to take the power over from the op opponent and use it against him. Right. Mm -hmm. And but that actually is also the reflection of our mind. 
So I had to learn to consciously deal with something deep moving going on within me. Thus, I had to consciously uh, get over uh, uh, my brain's capacity. And it says in the say in the Bhagavad Gita, so like uh, millions of uh, thousands of years already know that the brain controlled is your best friend. A brain non-controlled is your worst enemy. And right now we are here with the Stanford University Neurobiology uh, Science. We are going to tackle the problems, you know, like PTSD, depression, fear, uh, anxiety. We are going to tackle them next year, Carmen, together with uh, Professor uh, Andrew Huberman, who is also present. But uh, you, you will talk to him uh, later in a, in a yeah. different podcast. Yeah, it's a complete different chapter we're going to open up that we have the ability to have control so much more within our brain, using our brain. And uh, uh, we are going to show this. Well, Stanley's done a lot of research with psychic healers over the years, right? Is this is this part of the same spectrum? Well, I was going to introduce an English language term that we might or might not have heard of, and that psychoneuroendocrine immunology. It's one of the longest words in the English language, and that is this new and exciting field that covers all of the bases that Wim was talking about. And interestingly enough, this goes back to the early prehistoric shamans, because they would do rituals, they would provide uh, herbs, and many of these are workable by what we now call the placebo effect. But the important thing is that the people in the tribe believed that this would help them, and they got well. Now, if they didn't believe, or if they weren't suggestible, they would die, and their genes would drop out of the gene pool. So over the millennial, humans have developed the capacity to be suggestible, and this is why hypnosis works, this is why self-regulation works, and now we're seeing the link-up with what is actually going on in the body, and as you say, in the autonomic nervous system, in the immune system, in the endocrine system, and that we can exert more control over this than we have known of the past. Now, Chris brought up the term of psychic healing, and in my opinion, this is basically what psychic healers do. They are helping people to tap into their own self-healing capacities. Many of the healers who I've encountered over the years, including Rolling Thunder, the medicine man I worked with for 20 years, make the statement, you know, I don't really heal anybody. I help people to heal themselves and to contact their inner shaman, their own, what I would call their own powers of self-regulation. Very and, clear. Yes, and of course, from the hypnosis literature, we're getting so much evidence that hypnosis, psychotherapy actually work better than the big farm drugs with fewer side effects, actually with virtually no side effects. The big farm drugs, like the ones that your late wife was taking when she killed herself, yes. do more harm than good, more often than not. Yes. And Big Farm is very, very irritated by these findings because Irving Kirsch and his colleagues have come up with study after study showing that good psychotherapy, with or without hypnosis, works better than the Big Farm drugs, especially for cases of depression, especially for manic depressive people. And Amazing. 
people would really rather not take the time to go to a psychotherapist. They'd rather take a pill, and this is to their detriment. Yeah. And, and it also takes the power away from them. And if you believe dis- you're dependent on the doctor right. or the pill, it disempowers it them. It disempowers them and puts them into a state of what we call learned helplessness. Ah, learned helplessness. Yeah. Seligman, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You and I, actually, I don't know if you remember, but you, when I was your graduate student, you <coughs> took me to a psychoneuroendocrinology conference in Buenos Aires. That's right. Yeah. And that's where I met Robert Ader, yeah. who was one of the founders of the field, and coincidentally, I was asked to write a chapter on psychoneuroimmunology for an encyclopedia, and so that's my one contribution to the field, by the way, because that (laughs) chapter is still there. Well, I did my best to write the chapter, then I sent it to Bob Ader, and I said, I don't want to misquote you, can you please edit this? And he did a masterful job of rewriting my entry for the encyclopedia, (laughs) and so that is the one article I wrote for the encyclopedia that they wanted to be republished in a shorter version of the encyclopedia. Mm. And I knew that that was correct because Bob Adrian helped me edit it. Yeah, yeah. If I know nothing about this, though, if I'm walking around and I don't know anything about how to tap into myself to be able to control some of this stuff from the inside, how do you paint a picture or describe where to even start that process for somebody because all of us are part of this system where we've been trained to look to the outside so what does looking to the inside even look like yes uh to the inside we have just shown scientifically that 12 persons within a quarter of hour are able were able to tap into the autonomic nervous system and fend off where a bacteria, fend off a, a bacteria's a reaction on the immune system, which causes fever, uncontrolled uh, uh, shivering, uh, headaches, uh, all over agony. And within a quarter of an hour, they all had control. Those people were trained by me. Okay. Not like a year or something, just in four days. So as the first group in the scientific history, we have shown, yes, to tap into the autonomic nervous system, which was outside of our will. Everybody thought so, even the science. So if you think that it is outside of your control, you never go look. Mm-hmm. You know, if the science is uh, telling us it's uh, impossible to tap into the autonomic nervous system related to the immune system and the endocrine system, thus I, I cannot do uh, very much uh, against a uh, pathogen or depression. I cannot do that because I have no control over my hormones. I have no control over my uh, the layer uh, over my T cells and B cells. And now we have shown. To, ha- to tap in within a quarter of an hour, 100% score, 12 people doing it as the first one in scientific history. And because we did not know about it, nobody resorts to his own uh, mental placebo or uh, mind power and using the breath. Mm-hmm. The, the breathing is a very important component because breathing is oxygen. Oxygen is uh, chemistry. And if you breathe consciously more, they're more profound, then you bring in more oxygen. uh, Thus, all the cells become oxygenized and it becomes alkaline. We have proven to do that, say, in 20 minutes. 
from being acidic in the in the deeper layers of our tissue, uh, and then influence it with oxygenation, uh, and that is conscious breathing, making it alkaline, and then the mind which is neurotransmitters and neurons, electrical little signals, suddenly is able far better to uh, travel throughout, the, all, to uh, reach the cells all over. And that's the way we are built naturally. Only we lost the power. We lost the insight. We lost it because of alienation, because of the the what uh, uh, you began with the mm -hmm. comfort zone behavior. We think that brings the power. No, you gotta stimulate these deeper physiological uh, systems of ours, which should be within our command to become strong, happy, and healthy. Uh, because strength is uh, hormones, hormonal control, uh, happiness is hormonal control, and uh, health is the immune system. And we have shown to get there, bang, in the, in the depth. And the way nature meant it to be is that we should be able to, and that's what I want to show scientifically, that we don't need to philosophize nor speculate about it anymore, that we are, will show that the brain control is far deeper than we ever thought before with that. So what we do with the neuro neurological de department of the Stanford University. Right now, we completed new studies on pain and inflammation uh, with the Radboud University in the in in the Netherlands, shown that we reproduce what we re uh, we all produced uh, like two years ago. That uh, we are able to tap into the autonomic nervous system, endocrine system, immune system as the first ones in the world to show that. We gotta wake up to this fact. It's no speculation that the comfort zone is nice for a time, but exposure, say, to the natural elements from time to time stimulates and brings within us a, 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 a mirror of how the deeper physiology of ours is able to cope with these. Uh, uh, natural elements mm -hmm. thus activate it and uh, it's it's wonderful life is wonderful and our physiology is magic so is that is is it a breathing plus environmental plus mental focus triad there that you're yes. talking about yes yes just mind that your mind is powerful and it's silly that I mean, Wim's taking this to a whole new level, but it's silly that we doubt this. I know, because right? it just sounds, I mean, if if what you're saying is, is if, if I'm listening to this, I'm going, okay, so you're telling me that I can just focus my mind, breathe differently than I breathe when I'm just walking around, and subject myself somehow to a physical stimulus, and those three things can help me tap into my immune system up till the dna and we have shown that we go past the station the transcription factors into the genomes and we have shown that because that's what you need when inflammation is going on out of your control bacteria uh, reaction on yeah. the immune system is inflammation that's the non-specific immune system and it's at work and only when you are in the il6 and il10 which are the genomes then uh, you have to go past a station a transcription factor which is the uh, the dna and nobody knew how to do it we showed it 
bang. And then you are not only into the DNA like these two little genomes, no, 400 of them. And that's our natural ability to do so. So we, uh, with this, what you just told, uh, just, okay, it is just breathing and believing. And, 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 and then I'm able to tap into the deepest part of my brain and the DNA and, and, and all the secrets of the physiology. Sorry, yes. It's obvious. There's a great book called um, Lives of a Cell. It's a classic. It was written in the 70s. You remember that? Lewis yes. Thomas. Yes. He was, uh, I think, the head of oncology right. at Mount Sinai, was it? Or Albert yeah, Einstein? He was a real pioneer along those lines. Yeah. I would urge the listeners to look up Lives of a Cell. Lives of a Cell. It's, it's a collection of essays. In one of the essays, he says, this is the guy who was the chief of oncology in a major hospital in New York. And he says, you know, in cultures all around the world, every culture has a folk remedy for curing warts. You know, these things that grow on your skin sometimes. He says, like in, in uh, Ireland, for example, you cut a potato in half and you smear the wart with one half. And then you, <laughs> you put the other half on your head in the full moon and you bury it in the yard. Wow. And the next morning, your wart's <laughs> gone. I need to try that. Yeah. And in Poland, <laughs> they have something with garlic they do. And in, you know, Uganda, there's something with, with the chicken, whatever. So every culture has these silly little rituals, but they all work. And he said, we all laugh at this, us doctors. We laugh and chuckle and say, oh, these, these uncivilized people. But they all work. Now, what's happening when a wart disappears overnight? Your immune system is distinguishing the wart tissue from the tissue around it. And in a matter of hours, it's eliminating that tissue from your body, leaving the tissue around it unharmed, untouched. And this is what we've been trying to do for decades with radiation, with yep. chemotherapy, people's hair falling out, their skin getting destroyed, their bodies, their organs being toxified. Why aren't we following this obvious path? It's right in front of us. We all see it. And yet we're doing all this harm to people instead of investigating this because big pharma isn't supporting it. The structure of the civilization doesn't support it. But that's why I said it's, it's silly that we doubt these things because it's right in front of us. Every time we watch a movie... Our brain is changing our physiology. Our heart rate increases when the movie gets scary. There's nothing happening. It's just going through our minds, right? So the fact that our minds control our physiology is not news. Right. And yet the culture is so insistent on denying it that, that we treat it as if it's some sort of, you know, too good to be true phenomenon. It's yeah. ridiculous. Well, you say it's too good to be true. And it's even more important to note that... A wart is very, very complicated, and the disappearance of a wart depends upon the interaction of half a dozen different human systems. Hmm. So the fact that these folk remedies work, and also I should add hypnosis has been known to remove warts, is a clue that something basic is going on here that over the decades since Lewis Thomas wrote that charming chapter, Mainstream medicine and, psych and psychiatry have really failed to grasp. I think that in response to your earlier question, if people who are listening want to have an example of how this works, mm -hmm. I would tell them, take some distress, a pain, a depression that you have, and focus on the feeling and give it a number, how severe it is, from 1 to 10. Okay. Maybe 8, maybe 9, maybe 7. Then, 
take 10 deep breaths. This is where your breathing comes in. Well, this is being so important. Yes, sir. And breathe into that pain. Breathe into that depression. Just focus on breathing into whatever is giving you a trouble. And after 10, give it a number again. Almost always the number is going to be low, lower. Now, if that number is lower from this very simple exercise, just think what you could do if you went through Wim's training program and had a better mastery of how breathing and how mind-body interactions can help you out. I mean, I guess that makes, I mean, for from something that I'm going through mentally, like a stress, grief, or I don't know, some emotion that I've got that's distressful, breathing into it and relaxing myself feels like something I can do. It feels like something within my control. But when you've got a bunch of blood taken from your body, which is what happened to you, Wim, right? And then they injected it with, what they inject it with? Endotoxin, uh, E. coli. E. coli. E. coli Bacteria. Right. Like, to me, it's like, it doesn't fit into the current scientific definitions that, that, that your blood from your body from this exercise would be somehow different than anyone else's well but that's what that, robert ader demonstrated yeah who stanley was talking about yeah. earlier he had I, I i'm not sure i remember all the details but his study was he had rats who there was a saccharin in the water and an immunosuppressant right, right. and so then he trained that he trained the rats in classical conditioning to reduce their immune response uh, associated with the saccharin yeah. and then he removed the immunosuppressant and only gave them saccharin, and their their immune response continued to decline. Decline. Got it. That's right. And then also he tied that in with the presence of an investigator in the room that was linked to that procedure, and he got them to the point where when the investigator returned to the room, right. the physiology would change. So they didn't even need the saccharin. That's right. Ooh, so wow. just that person walking into the room, they became more susceptible to disease. Their right. immune response was suppressed That's right. just by the presence of that person. And this is what shamans were doing tens of thousands of years ago with the opposite effect right yeah because if you can train it to be suppressed you can train it to be enhanced absolutely right right amazing yeah. amazing uh, 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 just look at these examples and you see is there uh, the, the idea that we have our uh, the power of our mind at our disposition, yes or no? That, that That's the question now. Mm -hmm. If this podcast can lead to clarify the belief of people, what is belief, that, that's the mind, what is the mind chemically, those are neurons, electrical signals, and we use it for internal use, uh, you know, when you are in distress or this or that, you you use uh, you can uh, you are able to use this mind power to uh, get systems going uh, far better than uh, thought before. If we are able to elaborate on this and to bring this simple awakening of this fa fact to back to the people. Then we did a great job. Back when I was going to graduate school, we were told that the brain cannot change. Okay. And that you have a certain number of cells, you will never get more. Now, even though both of those are not true, due to brain plasticity, which is a term that has come into vogue in the last several years, 
we know that many things can change the brain. Meditation can change the brain. Prayer can change the brain. Good psychotherapy can change the brain. Hypnosis can change the brain. The brain is plastic. We can change the brain ourselves by self-regulation exercises. Everything changes the brain. That's, that's the joke. All, you know, nothing can change the brain is what they were teaching. That's but right. every experience changes the brain. Orgasm changes the brain. Sleep changes the brain, as you've studied. Yes. As the senior person here in the room, Stanley, with the, the, the broadest historical perspective, do you feel, when you look at the world now, do you feel that we are in some sort, I mean, I know every historical moment is unique, but here we are doing a podcast. No no company is telling us what we can say, right? Mm -hmm. Bayer isn't telling us we can't talk about these things. Nobody's stopping Wim from spreading his news around the world. We're going to finish this and tens of thousands of people are going to be listening to this. Is this a unique moment for this sort of revolutionary information to spread around the world? It is revolutionary. And we have to look at this in a broader context, however, Back when you were talking about the cocoon we wrap around ourselves, mm -hmm. I was saying, yes, this is true, but what about the homeless people in America who have no cocoon? Mm -hmm. What about the millions of refugees who are in Europe today who have no cocoon? Mm -hmm. What's point. happening to them? How is this information explosion going to help them? So yeah. we have to look at a broad context and also look at the people who are being left out. And how does all of this brain science stuff help out the people who are scraping from day to day to find a place to live, a place to sleep, and some food to eat for themselves and their children? So this is the, as Charles Dickens says, this is the best of times, this is the worst of times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so too. Uh, uh, the comfort zone behavior uh, that's cultural development uh, 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 gotten into. And people take it as a second nature now. And uh, if they relate uh, to uh, comfort and then, then it's warmth and uh, uh, family and money and uh, things like that. I think we got a, a paradigm shift uh, 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 for that. And that is uh, the most valuable is what we actually do not have control over anymore. That's our health, happiness and strength. And uh, that's what we bring now with the new insights that we are able to regulate uh, these uh, most valuables uh, 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 of, uh, uh, of life, uh, happiness, strength and health. Uh, th those are the most valuable and uh, they sh should be taught in the school. Uh, uh, right now, people get ho are homeless. Uh, refugees come because they are into this money mode of thinking power power is dependent on uh, on money not on happiness i think power real power is if you are able to maintain happiness strength and health no mother in the world right now has the real uh, evidence based uh, 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 proof that we are able to tap into these systems of ours guaranteeing our children happiness, strength, and health. No, they go and learn mathematics, history, uh, language, and this, because you got to go for a position and, right. uh, and, and stress and right. more and more and more and more. And there is no end to that more right. than only the stress. 
and it distresses us in the moment. It gives a false sense of uh, reality uh, that we have to go for a system uh, instead of uh, 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 our happiness, strength, and health. And then the all the world is infected with the same uh, mental virus of uh, hey, money is power, and uh, get the oil going, get the, the uh, uh, I mean, power, do dominance. Where is the caring? Where is the sharing? Where is the tribal consciousness? Where is the shaman? Who's going to stand up and brings back sense to the people? And that's why I go through signs. Through signs, then sense will come back again. Proving that we are able, with our mental focus, you know, the mind, and just breathing, that the way nature meant it to be, is that we are able to guarantee every, like every mother, her children, happiness, strength, and health. And that, that is the most important. Then the war and power things, and one has more than the other, and the tension come, uh, coming therefrom, and war begins, because, uh, and politics, people talking, uh, it's such a bollocks. And, uh, uh, and uh, we got now the mind to shoot people to the moon, Hey, man, we also got the mind to become happy, strong, and healthy. And when the people talk about why are they pursuing domination, why do they want the money? If you get them to the final point, it's because they want to be happy, healthy, and strong. They think the money's going to be able to buy that for them, but in fact, it's self-destructive. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I was thinking while you were talking was maybe the unique moment. I mean, I think there is a uniqueness to media the way it's working now, that, that an idea cannot be stopped and can spread so quickly and so rapidly. But I think another thing that may be unique is that the Western medical paradigm has come to the end of the road. Yep. Life's not getting better anymore. We're not living longer. This is the first generation of Americans anyway that don't expect to live as long as their parents. They don't expect to be as rich as their parents either and as comfortable and all that's another issue. But the, the Western medical model has been exposed as corrupt. The, you know, just recent story about how sugar, uh, you know, companies bought out the researchers who claimed that fat was the problem behind heart disease, which was a lie that caused how many people to suffer from diabetes and lose limbs and lives for decades. It's been exposed as corrupt and, and people get that. People see like, oh, following this, taking these pills, going, getting these surgeries, it's not making life better anymore. So maybe that's the unique moment that people are looking around for another another road, another path forward, because this path has come to a precipice. Yeah, everything's already been categorized and there's drugs for each one of those categories and there's specialists for each one of those categories and none of it still seems to fill the void. So when you're teaching people, when you're taking people through this whim and you're trying to explain or even get them started or get them involved with, with what you've learned... What are you learning from them in taking them out of that mindset? That if they use it and get, just get back to this simple belief, hey, I can make the change, then we don't need presidents to say us we can change. No, you, you can change. You are the president of yourself. You got your own country. Be the king of your own body and mind. Mm -hmm. And use breathing. 
And suddenly all this electrical current thing of the mind going everywhere, it becomes calm. Because you get then the energy not everywhere anymore. You become uh, more ink into confidence of your own power. What's, why is breathing so important? Breathing uh, uh, changes the chemistry part direct within. We have learned to, through this comfort zone uh, of behavior. Uh, uh, yeah, the, 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 to culturally uh, change, to create a system that provides therein, and then suddenly the system is taken over. Yeah, we got to uh, make the system work, uh, and everybody is into that, uh, governments and all that, and it becomes so abstract, and uh, uh, we, lo uh, uh, we therefore begin to live more out uh, uh, b b because of the neocortex, the, the thinking patterns of uh, a rule this, 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 school and money and and da 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 da, da instead of uh, uh, having this basic primordial control, uh, which we uh, ha ha always had, but because of this culturally developed part of the brain and way of thinking, we lost the deeper sense of ourselves. We begin to breathe uh, more shallow. And if you do that just long enough, you become acidic in the tissue. And that affects our uh, physiology in its performance. Now, if you breathe deeper, you are able to cleanse yourself and uh, uh, in the deepest of yourself, the tissue. And it's also where all, all the emotion, trauma, fear is touring chemically uh, in the tissue. And we were not able to get there. Now we are able to get there uh, uh, by this deeper breathing and thus effectively change our chemistry the way nature meant it to be. Become Go, go through this cultural way of thinking and which is uh, 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 related directly with the uh, systems of ours and our control and go deeper boom and then having this belief again the belief is neurotransmitters and, uh, uh, and electrical signals they suddenly are able to connect with the cell with the dna uh, uh, Anywhere in the deepest of ours, and that's the way nature meant it to be. And it, thus, it's time to wake up by breathing and believing. I'm going to give your listeners an example of this. If they would lay on their backs and put a book on their stomach and breathe, if the book doesn't move, they're doing shallow breathing. Hmm. What they should be doing is abdominal breathing, as Wim says, deep breathing. That brings the oxygen to the body. See if you can breathe so that that book goes up and down as you breathe. That's the correct way to breathe for health. Also, to get back to another thing that Wim said, when we talk about the body being involved, most people think that the brain has all the neurotransmitters. It doesn't. We have neurotransmitters in the heart. We have more neurotransmitters in the gut than we have in the brain, probably, huh. according to Candace Pert's research. And so we actually have three brains, the gut, the heart, 
and the brain in our skull, and all three of those brains work together in psychoneuroendocrine pneumonology. Mm. Wow, beautiful. Hey, hey. That's crazy. <laughs> Lovely. I, the instinct is the gut. The intuition is, comes from the heart. Yeah, yeah. And logically, because we live in a comfort zone, we don't live in nature anymore. I mean, animals, they, they have intuition. Yeah. And they have instincts. Yeah. And we lost that because we don't uh, no longer live in direct stimulative nature. We've domesticated ourselves. Yeah. So that is what he is saying in a different way. Yeah. Beautiful. And it's yeah. funny because you were talking, I've heard, I saw another interview where you were talking about like knowing things in your gut. Um, which is yeah. kind of connected to the same neurotransmission in yeah. your gut. So, sure. so there actually is knowing something in your gut. <laughs> so when, when, yes. you, when you do the, the cold stuff, um, you know, I can imagine that's, that's just, you're focusing your mind, you're, you're, you're doing your breathing exercises and you're in ice and you stay in a mental state and you're radiating heat or you're visualizing whatever you're visualizing. But when you do something like run a marathon in the Arctic or in the Kalahari desert with no water, how, yes. how does that work? I mean, do you, cause that's not just about withstanding discomfort. That's about. Uh, a phenomenal physiological capacity. Do you train to run a marathon? Do you like? Do you work out for months beforehand? No training involved. Just mental power. Once again, the power of the mind is then at work. And uh, it was only after when uh, uh, a certain moment in my life, BBC called me. And they heard about the Iceman. I was upcoming, sort of, because I did all kinds of performances and uh, for in front of television. Now BBC was calling me. And they, they had me on the phone and they told me, uh, yeah, we are making a series on uh, superhuman, extraordinary people. And uh, uh, do you uh, got something in mind to show uh, that people are able to do that? You do it. And uh, I, I just invented it at the moment when I had them at the telephone. I told them, listen, I, I don't like running. So, but I'm going to run a marathon, non-trained, uh, beyond the polar circle in mid-January in shorts. Is that okay? Yes, 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 yes. So, nice. uh, you know, that's spectacular enough to yeah. raise some questions in people who are watching television. <laughs> yeah, and that so. is television for. Okay. Yeah. And I did it. And, uh, uh, and, and, and yes, I stunned them. So, so, uh, but I stunned also myself because I told them I want to show and to, uh, 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 that this is the power of the mind. And really, at that moment, I never had run a marathon or anything like that uh, ever before. But aren't there physiological limits? Aren't, aren't, I mean, I can't... If your child is underneath a car yeah. and you are there, yeah. you're not thinking. You're resorting to the inner power, where be, uh, and that's your love or unconditional being. Your mind is not in the way, and suddenly you're able to lift the car. But once you, you still know, have things like that. back damage, that, I mean... Uh, absolutely not. No, no, no. Uh, actually, nothing. And you know what? At the end, wow. I asked for a beer and a cigarette. 
<laughs> I mean, there is no dogma involved. It's life. It's so, li- so you're saying I, I, I can run a marathon if I got my mental shit together without training. Man, if I could run a marathon. If your house, I can't is, run to the mailbox, Wim. If your house is on fire, you run fast. <laughs> if you just got the right reasons yeah, or the yeah. right drive, then the drive will come. Right, but you're the, creating the drive, right? You're you're saying I'm doing this to teach something. Do you ever have a moment where you say, "Oh shit"? Uh, no, I, I'm not going to make it to the end of this. Or I, and not, not until uh, like uh, coming January. Uh, I like to climb uh, Mount uh, Kilimanjaro, Kilimanjaro barefoot, yeah. Yeah. barefoot. In 24 hours. And you know what? I'm not going to train whatsoever. I just do it. And, and but if you cut your again, foot or something, I mean, uh, no, you, no, 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 no. Yeah, I learned how to control uh, the mind. Uh, that, uh, and that's a beautiful question, uh, and I do not know the answer right now when I'm saying it, mm. but because of my experience. Mm. The experience of climbing without gear, uh, steep rocks, is based on you looking at the rock, you read the rock, and your body is involved in the mathematics at that moment. And you, uh, you use your intuition, right. you use your instinct yeah. And they make the calculation far better than, uh, hey, two and two right. is four. So Everybody it's like riding knows. a bike. Nobody's thinking how yes. to stay balanced. Two so and two is four. Uh, everybody knows. But think that way while you're standing uh, beyond a, 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 a Grand Canyon on, on a slipping road. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that's the mind. Yeah. And the power of ours, uh, I've exercised and uh, learned to confide therein so much that I played with the rocks. It was, oh, oh I go, and 20 minutes later, I was like immortal situations, so-called mortal situations, which just play mind fully in peace. Why? Because intuition and instinct are able to tap into uh, the physiology and, and that together with our consciousness, that's amazing. That's a new world. And I, 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 I want to bring that to neurology and show that we are able, for example, first, for those who suffer from uh, uh, PTSD, anxiety, fear, mm. uh, depression, psychosis, all those things, and also autoimmune diseases and even more cancer. I, think. I, I just heard this book from Steve Curtis, who uh, uh, cured completely of terminal uh, cancer. After I talked uh, about him, and he, he writes in the foreword, uh, uh, Wim, uh, I am here because of you, because you made me believe. And he, he, uh, he, a big, uh, 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 big book. And uh, I, I really think so, that we are able with the real consciousness, intuition and uh, instinct together, to to have such a uh, more uh, uh, power in the cell, in the DNA, in the uh, brainstem than ever before was thought. So we got to show this, but people, wake up. You got it. So, Wim, here's a question uh, to build on what Chris just just asked, too, is that when when I'm imagining you and what's happening inside of your mind while you're doing these things... I, I can only apply kind of my own 
experiences and there's there's this narrative that i have when i'm running or if i'm doing something where i'm i'm talking to myself like inside my head i'll i'll be like oh man i'm getting really tired right now yes. or yes. oh man like something's going on with a narrative i'm not like in it but it sounds almost like you is there nothing are you just breathing and there's not that internal conversation going on in your mind while you're doing these things exactly beautiful uh, i think our dreams like the indians when we go, go back to the indians when they do their fishing quest that uh, that's asking to the depth of yourself besides of your ego your conditioning your uh, 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 the conditioned p patterns uh, uh, or whatever uh, you go into the depth and then the archetype who you are uh, past your brain into your intuition, your instinct, everything comes. The dream state, the subconscious state, the autonomic nervous system, it's all there and it's, uh, you can reach it. You get a picture and they go for it. Yes, we are able to go past our conditioned uh, patterns. Which makes our, uh, which brings a loop of our thinking. It's second nature. And we think, this is what I am. No, man. You are your dream state. You better begin to wake up and get into your dream state. Back to your archetype. What did you wish when you were a young kid that makes you happy? That was a clear picture uh, by uh, by intuition and uninhibited. Uh, uh, by by instinct and 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 like uh, a little kid, like I'm playing here with a little kid. That that little kid is beautiful. It's just happy, and that, that we lost that because we are in the loop. Now get rid of the loop and so, to so when you loop. <laughs> when you're running, there's silence in your head. When you're when you're running one yes. of these marathons, yes. it's just you're just in the state. There's no you're not thinking. My foot hurts. It's colder than I thought. You're not. It's amazing. No it's amazing how the body is to, uh, able to solve huh. itself. You right. Know? We do. We, uh, that, the inner doctor, the inner diagnosis is direct, and we just need to program and be uninhibited about uh, 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 you know we're uh, programming ourselves mm. and don't don't block don't block the system just don't block it so you're just because, staying out of your way but we, because of our schooling and all we have learned to yeah go get it in get it in get right. it in all these patterns <laughs> they are unnecessary at that moment yeah but they are keeping on with this yeah. ridiculous information uh, flow yeah so we just stop it yeah, we become uh, in contact back with the most valuable, which in the end was happiness, strength, and health. Mm. Have you ever been hypnotized? Um, wait a minute, um, hypnotized? Uh, no, but I, I'm I'm teaching these hypno hypnotherapists yeah. right now. Yeah. And uh, they say what I do is like hypnotizing oh, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm hypnotized. You know when? When I see a beautiful woman, I'm hypnotized. <laughs> when I see a beautiful kid, I'm hypnotized. Yeah. When I see beautiful trees, yeah. I'm hypnotized. Yeah, yeah. nature. Yeah. yeah. Stanley's, maybe Stanley will hypnotize you later. Well, you, I'll tell you, you an that? interesting experience I had with hypnosis in Russia. I was there for psychology week in Sochi just before the Winter Olympics. Hmm. And they had a Russian self-regulation expert come down and do remarkable feats 
like putting metal on his body and it's stuck to his body, doing some strength and endurance feats. And then to cap things off, he spread a trough uh, over with broken glass and he took off his shoes and he jumped up and down on the glass. But then he said, now I can hypnotize any of you and you can do the same thing. And so the star athlete of the school got up and was hypnotized, took off his shoes, and then he backed off at the last minute. He said, no, no, I'm afraid I can't do it. And then my cheering section, beautiful girls in the front row of the auditorium, said, Dr. Krippner, we think you can do that. I said, of course I can do it. So I went up and I had the uh, star performer hypnotize me. He didn't know I was a low hypnotizable. I only have been successful in being hypnotized one time in my life, but I didn't tell him that. So he hypnotized me, quote unquote, and then I took off my shoes and I walked right across the broken glass. I jumped up and down on the glass because I noticed that these were broken beer bottles and I knew that he had used those broken bottles dozens of times and so they had no sharp edges left. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Stan, well, Stanley is a magician, uh, a trained yeah. magician. He True. must be. Yeah. So he, he knows he, the tricks. He, he, he sees them. He hypnotizes me right now. It's <laughs> 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 <His> good knowledge. <laughs> That's hilarious. So th is the dream state, the kind of trance state that you go into, Stanley, I'm curious, like when you're listening to this and you're hearing this state that Wim goes into mentally while he's doing these you know swimming underwater or running these marathons is it is that the same kind of mental state that you've seen when when you're i mean maybe this is touching back to the shamanistic thing but is this the same kind of mental state in oh, some yes, of the things you see seen? the shamans know how to yeah. empower people how to yeah. use their suggestibility bring out their inner shaman mm -hmm. now i as you know have written a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder ptsd and I really wish that Wynn's line of thinking would start to infiltrate the therapy that we're giving to veterans, especially also abused and raped women and also traumatized children, instead of giving them drugs, because the drugs have these horrendous side effects. A lot of, in fact, most PTSD people have frightening nightmares, and the best therapy for the nightmares is not to give them a drug with all of its side effects, but to teach them how to control the nightmare from within the nightmare, how to change the nightmare, how to turn it into an ordinary dream by using symbols and metaphors rather than to relive the rape or relive the wartime <laughs> trauma or the abuse or whatever. And this type of internal work hasn't caught on, even though we've got experiments to show that it works. And if you can change the nightmare, then you can also change the other symptoms of PTSD because that self-regulation that you've used to cure, your, to, to, to cure your nightmare problem can be applied to the depersonalization, the uh, revivification of the experience, the uh, <coughs> distraction, the compulsive behavior, the withdrawal, all the other symptoms of PTSD. The tragedy of veterans, as you know, 22 of whom commit suicide every day mm. in this country, is that only half of them go for treatment 
And of that half who go to treatment, half drop out after the first session. They're really not getting what they feel they need because they're given, for the most part, they're given drugs and psychiatric medications. As far as I'm concerned, the only drug that has any value is what we call plant medicine, psilocybin and uh, psychedelic-type drugs. But in our country, only a few dozen volunteers have been allowed to take those medications. The ones who take it turn out very well, and they have much shorter time in therapy. But, you know, that's too radical for our medical establishment, and they're not going to make money off that. You're talking about the, the studies funded by MAPS and, and other groups. Yes. Yeah. MAPS which is, which is, a, just to be clear, so nobody thinks just take psilocybin and your problems all go away. Not. It's together with, with therapy-assisted. Therapy. Of course, yeah. it has to be a combined in the psychotherapeutic regimen. MAPS is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And yeah, you've had Rick Doblin yeah, on Rick your Dobbin's show. Yeah, Rick yeah. Wonderful. Yes, and they're doing some marvelous work in terms of getting some studies going (coughs) for PTSD people that uh, are providing much better and much more longer-lasting relief than the psychiatric drugs. What's what's the name of the book that you put together about PTSD? Oh, thank you. It's called PTSD Biography of Disease. Biography of Disease. Yes, yes, published by uh, uh, ABC Clio. And it's uh, uh, by myself and two clinicians, because I'm not a clinician, students of mine, Daniel Pitchford and Jeanette Davies. And yes, this book has gotten rave reviews, especially from the American Psychological Association. And we espouse these new and different ways of working with PTSD. Not that there's anything wrong with some of the standard techniques like cognitive behavior therapy. Mm -hmm. They work fine. It's just that too few people are getting that. They're getting the psychiatric drugs instead. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, very recently, they had um, uh, a a doctor in Hanover University uh, in, in, in Germany together with his wife, also psychotherapist, um, uh, both uh, related to the uh, university over there, <coughs> they, um, they, they took up with what I'm doing, with the breathing. And they organized a, a big conference to 200 psychotherapists, uh, MDs, professors on psychology and, and uh, neurology and all that. 200 of them. And uh, <coughs> they had them breathing. And the, the, the label of, of the conference was Reden reicht nicht, or uh, talking alone doesn't work, mm. you know, ah, uh, ah. and uh, let's investigate and have a conference over it and make it a discussion, you know, like mm. cognitive therapy uh, uh, works, but it could go deeper as well. And they did the breathing and, and so many positive results came from all these people because they experienced it. Mm. Something very simple, very effective. Wow, hey, this is that doing to my brain in just a couple of minutes. So uh, what we have shown in, in these, uh, uh, right now they are into the uh, study and they see all kinds of uh, uh, um, unknown uh, results, physiological results ca- uh, coming therefrom, like there is more oxygen than the 100% we supposed uh, to have, mm. uh, th- uh, things like that. And uh, uh, the studies uh, are on uh, emotional reactivity. 
Mm. They are doing the uh, study right now, uh, and uh, it's it's very very promising. Uh, things on say uh, uh, PTSD trauma. Uh, trauma is boom on your brain on your being. Hey man, this nervous system is not able to cope with that, so it gets uh, it gets brain damage, and it's looping. And what people do during the day is. Hey, I cannot handle this. I try to fight it. But in the dream state, when you sleep, you are no longer there. Uh. So then it comes all these nightmares. And we have no way to deal with that. So now with the breathing, I see every time I do, well, like hundreds of people, you see people cry. Big trauma from the past suddenly is able to come up. Hmm. We are able not only to get into the autonomic nervous system, we are able to get into what we call the subconsciousness. The consciousness uh, with the right way of breathing and the insight, the focus, are able to get into that area what we consider to be subconscious. So the subconsciousness is no longer the subconsciousness as we thought it was. So the breathing is really able to cleanse what chemically is being translated because of trauma into we got to store that away because we cannot handle that at this moment. (laughs) Now, this breathing goes to the lymphatic system, goes into the tissue where this chemistry is being done. These people breathe into it, through it, and suddenly they see the images of the trauma. Because it's all related in the cell memory and whatever. How it exactly works, it works. And right now, I want to have it uh, scientifically evidence-based. That's why I'm here to be with the Stanford University in the neuroscience and uh, neurobiology, fMRIs, MRIs, uh, tractographics, spectrographics, uh, uh, brain imaging, and biochemical and psychological we will show that people are able to deal the way nature meant it to be, eh? to deal with trauma. Because now it's war and boom, boom, bang, bang, bang. Before it was a tiger and, uh, and or tsunami, so whatsoever, you know. Uh, uh, trauma is trauma. It is just too much on the nervous system and it relates itself and gets stored into chemistry. But it is like acidic. Later on, when you are more tranquil, you are able to deal with it. Like any other pathogen or broken bone, we got a broken mental bone there. This is very similar to Stanislaus Grof's holotropic breathing. You read my mind. I was going to ask about that. Yes, yeah. which uh, I was one of the first piece of people to teach it. Stan gave me his tape of music. Now he has a whole certification program, so I don't have to teach it myself anymore. But by doing the deep abdominal rapid breathing, exactly what Wim says, people have been able to make connections with long-lost memories and to abreact laugh, cry, scream, yell, holler, and this can be followed up in psychotherapy and can cut days, weeks, months out of a psychotherapeutic regimen. And two of my students have actually studied holotropic breathing for their dissertations at Saybrook University, and in both cases, holotropic breathing 
assisted alleviation of symptoms much better than people in a control group who did other types of activities. But it doesn't stop there. You go back a couple of thousand years to India and you have pranayama, the yogic type of deep breathing. This has been practiced in India for not only centuries, a couple of thousands of years, and it's part of one of the systems of yoga, and I think that much of what Wim is doing resembles and shares some of the procedures of some of the classical branches of yoga that uh, people have been doing in different parts of the world for, for ages. Yeah. Again, self-regulation, self-control, internal self-mastery, all of this is pretty much lost in the Western world. And it's important to give this a rebirth, give it a boost, because people can benefit from it. Getting back to, to Sam's question earlier about breathing. Yeah. I remember years ago reading uh, Andrew Weil uh, talking about the reason that breathing is at the core of pretty much all meditative techniques is that it's a bridge between the two systems as, as he saw them. He's a doctor who's very famous for alternatives. He sort of introduced alternative medicine to the U.S. in, in many ways. And uh, he said, um, you know, breathing is this thing where it's something that you can do consciously. You can hyperventilate. You can choose to breathe faster, slower. You hold your breath, whatever. But if you forget about it, it keeps happening. Mm. So it's it's this bridge between the autonomic and the and mm. the voluntary system. And at the time I read that, I thought, okay, that's interesting. Is there anything else? Are there any other bridges? Are there any other things that we can choose? You know, and of course, Wim, you would say there are many things that you can choose. I can raise my heart rate. I can, you know, change my heart, blood pressure, my body, skin temperature, all these things. But for most people, I would say the other bridge, uh, particularly for men, is sexual. Hmm. You can think an erection. Oh, that's right? interesting. And you could think you know, that you can, you know, have a, a thought, kill your erection, right, as I'm sure right. we've all experienced. <laughs> yep. uh, so, so it makes me think, you know, there are these yogic traditions you're talking about. Some of them, tantric yoga, for example, focuses on sexuality as a way. There's yeah. this thing that sort of happens spontaneously, but also we can choose to control it. We can harness it. We can slow it down. We can stop it. Change. So I wonder when you do these sessions, do, do people have sexual erotic experiences? Well, let me give you some data before when his answer is that Science Magazine is the top science magazine in the United States. And last year they had a remarkable article demonstrating that people's attention wanders. Most of the time people are not in the here and the now. They're not focused on what's happening. They're not mindful in other words. Of all the activities that people do, the activity in which they're most mindful is having sex. If you're having sex, you're mindful 80% of the time. That's a higher percentage than any other type of activity right. you, people do. I think, uh, to me, that's probably the primary attraction of it, that it's it's relaxing in the same way that rock climbing or something is relaxing because it focuses your brain so much. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sex, man. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, we so got him. now we got it. Is being immersed in ice like having sex for you? Is there is there some connection there? 
Because of the focus? Besides of being stiff because of the cold. <laughs> Do you get shrinkage? That's what we want to know. Will. You know, going into the cold is very good for the vascular system. And arousal and an erection is all about the right blood flow through the penis. And for and women as well. To the and clitoris. for women. Yep. So... Um, Yeah, yeah, my wife is really not complaining. Uh, <laughs> I got virility. Let's, let's get wait, her in here. Wait a minute. Now it becomes really interesting. Uh, uh, you, you know, I was talking about the transcription uh, factor, and uh, that's related to the genomes. One of the genomes, uh, the genomes are like uh, traffic lights. Uh -huh. uh, if a cell needs to go on, it, it, it becomes green. Like a, a, cell, a liver cell needs to become uh, yeah, uh, uh, nice and uh, okay. If it doesn't, it becomes defect. Oh. Yeah, but you got also a genome for virility. So uh, if you are able to go past this transcription factor and influence the chemistry of the genomes, you are able to invigorate the virility genome uh, to the best, and at will. So uh, and and that's very important. I, I mean. Uh, I'm not thinking about sex. I'm doing it, and uh, and I got a, a unlimited energy to do uh, to, to do uh, to do it, and uh, yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Um, now, eighty percent of it, yes, of course, it is so important because this is the procreation. This is the way we get children and uh, uh, populate in the world and try to get a better consciousness therein. Now, if every mother is able to guarantee love and, uh, uh, and happiness and strength, uh, uh, this consciousness to disbelief uh, to the children, then, then we get some real love, not only mm. sex, because sex is nice, but caring and sharing the tribe feeling... That, 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 that's sublimated mm. out of uh, the sexual subliminal uh, powers and energies. We try to control it through tantra and things like that. Uh, but uh, uh, most of the people are just dominated by uh, uh, this, this, this taboo thing, you know, gold sex, which is the most beautiful thing on earth. We, we made it something different. And uh, it's very nice to dig into that because uh, in the end it's caring and sharing, mm -hmm. love for each other. That's the most beautiful and it is, yeah, like lost or uh, something abstract. Maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, everybody knows, but nobody is experiencing. Uh, uh, most of people are uh, becoming so depressive because they are thinking all day long about sex uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and not b about the real values. Mm. It's gone, this confusion. But uh, for the rest, I have great sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then you don't need to mind anymore. Yeah. Well, it's like food. Let me give you an example of uh, self-regulation, which came spontaneously, because most of your listeners will know who Jude Law is, sure. uh, the British actor who's really a matinee idol. I went to his Broadway show his debut several years ago, maybe 12, 13, 14 years ago, Intimate Relationships, a translation of a very sexy French drama, melodrama, in fact. And Broadway people like to play tricks on newcomers. And there is one scene in the show 
where Jude Law takes off all of his clothes and goes into a swimming pool, which of course was preheated, and during the rehearsals was preheated. But to play a joke on Jude Law, they had an icy cold swimming pool oh, for Jesus. his Broadway debut. <laughs> Yikes. And half the audience was looking forward to seeing Jude Law in the nude. At least have. Yeah. So he jumps into the swimming pool, and I was not there, but I am told without batting an eyelash, he realized the joke had been played on him, and he just carried out the scene. One thing he couldn't do, of course, was to affect his shrunken penis. Right. Even <laughs> yeah. the audience didn't know that he had just come out of a freezing cold swimming pool. Oh, really? But he carried it off like a professional. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's a nice scene. You know, I was wondering, Wim, you're... You are alone in in a way. You're at the center of this this very important movement. You've got there's a sort of an industry building up around yeah. you. Do you ever feel? I mean, you you you're like Muhammad Ali or something. You know, there's all these people depending on you to keep winning, to keep performing, to keep being Wim Hof. Do you ever feel like? That like that's a lot of pressure. Like, do you ever get a cold and just say, "Hey, I'm just a human being," you know? I just I just want to stay in bed this week. You know what I mean? Do you, Do you ever feel like that's too much pressure on you? Yeah, it's a good question. <clears throat> I'm uh, absolutely human, uh, but until this is not passed on, uh, uh, I'll, I just keep uh, a warrior for the cause, a missionary. For this mission, because we have to know that this belief uh, within ourselves will bring about happiness, strength, and health. And it is so easy, so simple. Yeah. And sometimes it's not easy because of our conditioning and comfort zone, a way of thinking, and uh, we lost the belief. We want, uh, we want to bring it back. And listen, uh, I got you. I got Stanley. Mm-hmm. The, uh, 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 we, we are on the same page. Yeah. We know there is more. We have been investigating, and it's real. It's as solid as the chair where I sit on, only the people do not know anymore. It's like they are sitting without a chair because they think that it doesn't exist. Right. It exists. The power to become healthy, strong, and happy. It is there. Just make use of it. Don't waste your energy in... Uh, thinking that it is not there and the dependency created with a, a whole industry around it in the food and the pharmaceuticals and our daily uh, way of living. Uh, we lost the, pa- the, the power to love, the confidence with it, and we are depleting of our, uh, within our own energy. Therefore, yeah. so bring back the energy. Bring back your mind within. And then... Uh, Sometimes I worry because you and I sort of became friends, you know, over the last month or oh, so. Yes. And and I see how... I like your jokes, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see how much energy you put into helping other people and how much energy you put into spreading this message and, and subjecting yourself to things so that you can demonstrate again and again and scientifically validate these things. And there's a conundrum in that where... You know, if your own health suffers, if you feel stress, if you feel pressure and anxiety because it's so important for you to demonstrate these things and to, uh, to have the world have, have proof of this, then there's sort of a, 
you know, there's a paradox there yeah. where, you know, we're also depending on you to stay happy, strong and healthy. It, you know? is, it is absolutely true. Uh, but uh, like before in, the, in this podcast, we are built to uh, carry out our mission, our dream. And whatever it takes, we are warriors therein. We have the power, we have the confidence, we have the connections, and we are able to realize that. So I prefer to be wounded and won the war than uh, to be healed and stayed at home. <laughs> and until, uh, once again, uh, until it's not happening, I will go on. Even though I missed four fingers, I will use the one to point the right, to the right direction. Stanley, do you have anything you'd like to say before we wrap it up? Well, I think this has been a fascinating discussion. And again, all of this news about women's marvelous self-control and self-discipline is something that, as he says, each of the listeners can do in his or her way. It's not easy, by the way. You do have to focus. You have to use attention. You have to use training. And it's better that you get it from somebody like Wim or a trainer of some sort, a coach of some sort. You go off on your own and you don't want to expose yourself to extremes without supervision. So there's a cautionary note here that the listeners have to be aware of. But under the right supervision, yes, you can do mind-body interaction and self-discipline to help yourself to cure yourself, to heal yourself, to stay fit, to stay healthy, and be happy at the same time. Wonderful. And this is coming from a guy who's yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 85, and you just got off a plane from China? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, we got two guys here who are demonstrating, the, you know, they, they're walking the walk, Sam. Yeah, I know. It's how incredible. Are, how are, what are we going to do? I don't know. We've got to start breathing. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, wisdom comes from this man. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. And I'm learning. Yeah. 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 True <laughs> legends in the room for sure. <laughs> well, it's been awesome, you guys. Thanks yeah. for being on. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Let's all be legendary. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through Patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast, a buck a month, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. The other way you can support the podcast is if you buy shit through Amazon.com or you know someone who does. Please direct them through the link on my page, chrisryanphd.com. You click on that baby once, bookmark the landing page on Amazon, and then 8 to 10% of whatever you spend will come to support the podcast at no extra cost to you or your loved ones. Thank you to Basin and Range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast. Very funky little tune there uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com. 
Reddit.com. If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, thanks to Shore Design T-shirts. Our garage is full of them. My mom has them all organized as only she can. Julie, thank you to Julie, my mom. She'll send those T-shirts out to you if you order them. Everything we've got in stock is from Shore Design T-shirts in Thailand. And you can check out their webpage as well for other designs. Thank you to Carsey Blanton. You can find out more about Carsey Blanton at CarseyBlanton.com. C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm. And it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can, because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel Say what you want to say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say <laughs> When everyone we've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't want to give the end away But we're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day We're gonna die one day So baby, what's a big deal? If you want to be free, say what you want to feel, spend the night with me, I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms, we'll dance into the ground.